you've got your Bibles um, with you, if you'd like to turn to Matthew's uh, Gospel, and we're going to be looking at chapter 6 and starting to read from verse 25. So Matthew 6, starting to read from verse 25. Therefore I tell you, not, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single day, a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, when I got the call that um, I would be speaking this morning, I was wondering, well, what, what on earth do I speak about? In, uh, you know, and can I prepare? And I thought, well, what am I reading at the moment? And I've been reading these, this Sermon on the Mount. And um, it never ceases to amaze me whenever I read that. Every time I read the Sermon on the Mount, there's always something that I get from reading that particular, those particular passages. Um, and Matthew has been very... Um, clever in the way he's organized his gospel. So um, the first few chapters after the um, nativity are all about the sayings, if you like, of Jesus, whereas the subsequent chapters after the um, Sermon on the Mount are about Jesus, what Jesus did, his works, if you like. And Matthew um, may have taken a few liberties by lumping some of these stories together. Um, Most scholars don't believe that Jesus did actually talk about quite such a range, far-ranging set of subjects in one go. Um, So Matthew might have taken the liberty of putting those together. But it suits his purpose. And his purpose is this. When else do we hear the voice of God on a mountain? You can answer if you know the answer. Very good, but not... No, that happens later. Good try. Where is Moses, well done. So the God speaks from the mountain to give Moses the Ten Commandments. Yeah? So Matthew has deliberately, um, if you like, engineered this story um, so that it sounds a bit like um, the, 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 the giving of the law to Moses. But this law is very different or, and also very similar to the laws that Moses were given. Yeah, there's a lot of similarity, but there are also some differences. And this, this obviously was preached to believers, to, his, to the Israelites. There weren't any Gentiles uh, in the audience. This 
particular um, Sermon on the Mount was given to believers, Jewish believers. So this message really is for Christians. And if you read it, uh, you'll be quite, quite quickly aware of the fact, well, hey, I can't do this stuff. In the same way as we can't do keep the first of the Ten Commandments, or maybe we can you know, not murder people, but there are other commandments of the first ten that we, you know, that we can't keep. Same way with these commandments. Yeah? They're equally impossible to keep. So the temp- tendency is obviously to read this, these, these, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and think, of course, this is, this is, this is tricky. Because we're told, aren't we, to be perfect as he is perfect. And that's a tall order. We aren't going to be able to do that very easily. The other thing about this is that the particular um, commandment in here is don't worry. Don't worry. Do you not get bombarded day in, day out with stories about people having dreadful trouble with anxieties and worries and aren't our, aren't our classrooms and many of our young people played with anxieties and worries? Don't we hear that all the time? And to be true, there is, there is a lot to worry about. There is a lot to be anxious about. Let's not um, sort of gloss over this. There is a lot to be anxious and to worry about. But the mark of a Christian, according to the, the, uh, the, the passage we've just read, is don't worry. Don't worry. Now, the problem with that particular commandment, and all the others for that matter, that we're instructed to do, is, well, what happens if you do worry? Anyone worry here? You're not obeying what it says here. We all worry, don't we? I know I do. I'm anxious about things. And the, 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 the trap we can fall into is that we can fall into the trap of, uh, uh, of thinking, well, hang on a minute, the Bible's telling me not to worry, and yet I am. There must be something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Why am I worrying? Yeah? This is, in fact, goes back to a much wider problem, something called sola scriptura. So this is a little bit of background for you. Sola scriptura means only the scriptures. Yeah, so um, back in Martin Luther's time, they decided that all the church traditions and all the, you know, the things that the priests did and stuff and how they interpreted the Bible was not, was not on. There were too many things going wrong um, in Christianity. There was too many traditions and so forth that were skewing what the Bible said. In fact, sometimes completely misrepresenting what the Bible says. So Martin Luther said, no, only Scripture is is to interpret Scripture. And if it says this, then that's what we've got to do, in effect. Which is all well and good. But the trouble is, we don't interpret Scripture in a vacuum. We bring to it all our, the human condition, for starters. We bring our experiences to bear. And for many, many people, their experiences is one of anxious worry yeah, they worry about things. Well, what am I going to wear? What job am I going to do? Quite naturally. 
So the tendency is, for, to, is to either think, well, what's wrong with me? Or the other extreme is, well, what's wrong with God's word? Because it's completely unrealistic. Do you get the idea? There are two traps. One that says, I'm not good enough because I can't keep this because I do worry. And the other side is, well, in that case, I'm going to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater because this is clearly impractical. What the Bible is telling me to do, I can't do. I can't do. So what does Jesus try and, and do to help us here? Well, he uses a series in the Sermon of the Mount of these things. It's a legal argument. It's called greater to lesser, or lesser to greater, in fact. There's a legal. So that's another thing about law. Yeah, This is how Matthew sets the picture for the setting for the Sermon on the Mount. He uses these legal arguments, lesser to greater, which means basically, well, if God looks after the birds, won't he look after you? If he looks after the flowers... Aren't you more important than flowers? So first of all, we're more important to him than anything else in creation. You and I have been made unique in the image of our creator. And he thinks, we're good. We're great. He's really pleased with us because we are supposed to radiate his image into the world around us. You see, because Jesus is not the only one to tell us not to worry. Who remembers Bob Marley? Don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. Sorry about that. There are people still receiving um, you know, counseling from the last time I sang. But um, it's not unique, is it? Bob Marley famously told us to not worry. So what's the difference between Bob Marley telling us not to worry and Jesus. Well, for, 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 for the first thing, um, there's Bob Marley. I don't know Bob Marley. Um, I have never had the privilege of meeting him or even going to one of his concerts. I wish I had done, but I was not of the right age to go and see a Bob Marley con a concert. So um, that was out the window. And the other fact, of course, the most important one, he's been dead for 40 years. So I'm not going to be able to get much sense out of Bob Marley um, because he's no longer with us. So what's the secret? How can we break this sort of deadlock, this impasse? Well, it's not exactly what's being said that is the problem. It's who says it. Yeah? It's who says it. So who's saying it here? Well, Jesus is saying it. And that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? Because no longer is my sort of, is, is it like a self-help exercise that I've got to somehow G myself up, um, you know, to not worry. And it's certainly not the case that people can say to me, well, if you're worrying, you haven't got enough faith because you're worrying. Yeah? It's Jesus saying, don't worry. I'm here. And this is, the, this is the great thing about many of these weird and wonderful people who are, um, you know, the, what's, what's loosely called the church fathers, in some cases mothers as well. One, one in particular, Teresa of Avila, was one of these mystics of the um, early church who discovered this, that it's all about 
the relationship we have with Jesus. Nothing else matters. We may not understand it. I don't understand it. I've been studying it for years. I still don't understand it. So it's not determined upon, upon, upon what, how much we understand of the Scriptures or even how much we know about Jesus. So I could stand up here and tell you, you know, the 300 or so prophecies about his, his birth and the 300 or so prophecies about his death. I could stand up here and tell you those all day. You could look through the scriptures at all the different, different pieces of text that uh, predict where he would be born, you know, where he would be living, where he would be refugee, how he died, etc., etc., etc. And that might be a very interesting exercise. But the thing is, I wouldn't know anything more about Jesus as a person. It doesn't work like that, does it? Okay, it's nice to know a bit of information about people we call friends. But isn't it just the case of spending time together that you get to know people? Isn't it when we spend time perhaps over a meal or you know, we meet up for, them with co- for coffee or something, we get, start to get to know people as we talk to them, as, the, as we ask them questions and they ask us questions? Isn't that how we get to know people? Shared activities perhaps? So it's not to do with how much we know up here. It's all about here. How, how much do we know him? What, what is the state of your relationship with Jesus? What is the state of my relationship with Jesus? Do I spend time with him? Do I ask him questions? One of the things that I really like about this church is we're not afraid to ask questions. We don't pretend to know all the answers because, quite frankly, we don't. I certainly don't. You can ask me questions. I'll say, not, not a clue. I don't know why that's happened. I don't know why, anything about this particular situation. The thing is, the only thing I can tell you is I know the person who can help you. I know the person who says, I love you. I know the person who's, who died for me and died for you. I know that person. That knowledge, I would argue, is the only knowledge that really counts. Because at the end of the day, there will be things that happen that we will, will leave us completely... Huh? Why is this going on? What's, what are you doing, God? I can think of numerous occasions, even occasions quite recently, where I've been thinking, well, you know, what's, why, why, haven't you, why have you not answered my prayer? Why have you done something else? It's as though I've been praying and nothing's happened. Is that something wrong with me? Do you get the idea how this works? So when the answer no comes, no, that's not what I want, what do we do? Do we go off in a huff? Do we go you know, and sort of like David did and, and sort of basically left God's word in a, you know, in a crate by the side of the road? so that the enemies could come along and pinch it and sort of go and do his own thing for a few years until he realized that the, the person who had actually helped himself to the Ten Commandments was being blessed out of his socks. Remember that story? 
the Ark of the Covenant is on a on an oxen cart, a cart, and it falls into a you know it's going to looks like it's going to fall, and one of the one of the friends of of David puts his hand out to steady it, and because he wasn't supposed to be there, gets struck down, and David takes it as a personal affront. Yeah, it's easy, isn't it, to take it personally when the answer is no. Oh, well, perhaps I won't bother praying anymore. Isn't that, isn't that real life? Or is it just me? Can you see the temptation all the time to not trust, to not believe? So if that's the, the negative side, then well, what is the positive? Well, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and my righteousness. What does that mean? How are we supposed to seek first the kingdom? Well, first of all, the, the question is, what are we putting our trust in at the moment? So here is a situation where people were putting in their, their trust in the temporal. Things to eat, immediate physical needs, food, clothes, drink. And isn't it true that most there's a lot of that on the, on the TVs? You go turn your TV on, there's some celebrity chef or something in it telling you some latest wonderful recipe for something or other. And, and they seem to have nu- numerous shows on, all on the same thing of cooking something. Is that all you've got to live for? Is there more, isn't there more to life than just eating? It staggers me that some, not so, so many of them are not quite so overweight as they are. Seem to be all they do seem to do is talking about food and eating. And I like to eat as much as the next person does. But there are thousands and millions of people in the world who don't get three squares a day. What about them? What about clothes? This is getting a bit close to the mark now because some of you ladies have nice big wardrobes stacked full of the things. I know my wife does. Should we get a bigger wardrobe, dear? Or shall we just get rid of some clothes? (laughs) Yeah? This is starts to get, you know, a bit ooh, getting a bit edgy now. But that's where it is, isn't it? It's are we putting our trust in these temporal things or are we putting our trust in Jesus? In our relationship with him. Because at the end of the day, if God didn't spare his own son for us, then surely Surely he knows that we need these things, food and drink and clothing. Doesn't he? Some hecklings are in today, I'm sorry about that. But that's true, isn't it? If God wouldn't spare his own son, how much more will he give us good things? He says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Because he loves us. So seeking first the kingdom involves where do we put our trust. But it's also about our Identity. You know, we've been talking a lot about identity, haven't we, over the last few few months? Identity. Who are we? Who are we? 
So it's not really surprising to me that if you believe that you are a chance product of chemical um, reactions over billions of years, that you have a different view to someone who believes that they are the special, unique creation of God. Because if you believe you're just you know, here for a few years and then you're gone, then obviously you're going to cram your life with full of stuff that you know, you're going to want to enjoy. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, you know, the, uh, the Problem of Pleasure. Pleasure can be a problem. And if you've got no other, you know, there's nothing else on your agenda, oh, you know, um, die and then, oh, nothing. My diary is suddenly empty. Yeah? Then you'll want to cram what you can into this part. But Jesus says, no, there's more to, there's more to life than this. It goes on. Is your identity here and now, or are you a citizen of heaven, of the heavenly kingdom? What's your identity? Because if you believe that you are a child of the creator king, won't that color what you do? Please say yes. Of course it will. It should do. You know, I'm very fortunate enough to have children who, generally speaking, used to do what they were asked most of the time. And I like to think it was because they had some sort of love for their parents. Yeah. Because a lover will always outperform someone who does something out of duty. A lover will always outperform someone who does something out of duty. So if you're here just following rules, you know, oh, it says don't worry, oh, I mustn't worry. Or it says don't do this, I better not do that. It says do this, well, I better do that. Life becomes very monotonous, boring, and especially when you don't really believe it or even understand it. How can you keep going? How can you keep going in that sort of situation? Well, I would say to you, you can't. And what's more, you're not even meant to. Because the whole point about this is that the kingdom of heaven, we're told, is within us. God actually gives us his Holy Spirit to help us do this stuff. Isn't that amazing? So when I'm racked with anxiety and worry, what do I do? I don't beat myself up saying, oh, I'm worrying again, I shouldn't be worrying, I'm anxious again, I shouldn't be anxious. I'm thinking, Lord, what are you, trying to, what are you doing? What are you, what are you trying to teach me? Will you help me? I mean, if we've got friends that we go out with and we, we, we're chatting to them and we're saying, oh, I've got the dreadful problem with X, Y, and Z or whatever it might be. If they're friends with you, don't they lend you a sympathetic ear if nothing else? Don't they offer you advice and, and they might even offer you help? So if that's what our human friends will do, how much more will our Heavenly Father do that for us if we come to him and say, I'm struggling with this? Get the idea how this works? Because if God is concerned about the sparrows in the trees and the number of hairs on our head, etc., etc., how much more concerned is he about us? Answer, 
more than we can imagine. More than we can imagine. Because he loves you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the whole point of the exercise. He loves you. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's what the great mystics of old basically came down to. It's all about that relationship with Jesus. And once you discover that, it's so precious you'll never want to let it go. Time spent in prayer or just time with Jesus become more of a joy than a drudgery. They become something you look forward to rather than something you do out of duty. And sometimes you do have to do these things out of duty. Sometimes you do have to sort of pick yourself up and say, right, I'm going to do this. Don't feel like doing it. And that's what called us bringing a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Sometimes it costs. But as all the athletes returning from the Olympics with their, all their medals will tell you, it's worth it. All that hard work that they had to put in to press through the pain barrier and all the rest of it is worth it for what they've got, what they, the reward they've received. And if you read other parts of the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about you know, not avoiding hypocrisy by praying in public and you know, making yourself look sort of all um, grey and um, you know, if you're covering yourself with ashes to make yourself look pious, if you're fasting, all those sorts of hypocritical things. Yeah, that's where it all boils down to. Jesus loves you. Now, maybe this morning you don't feel that love. Maybe this morning you are struggling with anxiety, with worry. Well, there are people who I'm going to ask to come up in a second who would be, love, who would be delight to, to pray with you about that, to help you, to ask God to help you. If the band would like to, to make their way up to the stage, we're just going to respond to the Lord now. And um, if you do want prayer for any of those things that I've mentioned, or perhaps something completely different, then please do come up. But the point is that God loves you. And no matter what it is you may be going through at this moment, he still loves you. He still loves you. So the amount of which you worry and which you're anxious about things, or whatever the issue is, he still loves you. He hasn't stopped loving you. And he wants the best for you. So please don't leave this place without spending some time, perhaps receiving some prayer or whatever it is you need to do to receive that love that Jesus died to give you.